0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together as a community of people who seek to follow Jesus, to share our praise, to bring our prayers, and to listen for God speaking to us through the Gospels and through each other. Some words from the first letter of Peter. Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a living hope. And so we look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. He keeps them for us in heaven where they cannot decay or spoil or fade away. They are kept for us who, through faith, are kept safe by God's power for the salvation which is ready to be revealed at the end of time. Be glad about this. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Ever-present and holy God, We gather as people who feel your presence, to worship you, to praise you for being here among us, and to name our passion for all that points us to you. We come in all our weakness and with all our failings, rejoicing that in you we find love, a love that is stronger than our fear or our frailty a love that calls us to respond in joy. Living God, you are love, eternally to be praised, for you delight in us. We come in our joy and our laughter, rejoicing that in you we find love, a love that liberates and frees all people, A love that causes us to shout to all nations. Living God, you are love. Eternally to be praised. For you delight in us. We come as community. As neighbors. Rejoicing that in you we find love. A love that accepts each person as they are a love that initiates action as we endeavor to love each other. Living God, you are love. Eternally to be praised, for you delight in us. Ceaselessly, you call us to love you and to love our neighbors. In response to your call and your love of us, we bring our worship, and as we do so, in our own first languages, we join in the prayer Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, Father who art you in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, Amen. and lead us not into temptation,
1: but to deliver us from evil. For we thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We read first from Matthew 12, from verse 9, on page 17 of the New Testament. Jesus left that place and went to a synagogue where there was a man who had a paralyzed hand. Some people were there who wanted to accuse Jesus of doing wrong. So they asked him, is it against our law to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, what if one of you has a sheep and it falls into a deep hole on the Sabbath? Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? And a human being is worth much more than a sheep. So then, our law does allow us to help someone on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man with the paralyzed hand, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it became well again, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees left and made plans to kill Jesus. When Jesus heard about the plot against him, he went away from that place, and large crowds followed him. He healed all those who were ill, and gave them orders not to tell others about him. He did this, so as to make what God had said through the prophet Isaiah come true. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love. And with whom I am pleased. I will send my spirit upon him, and he will announce my judgment to the nations. He will not argue or shout or make loud speeches in the streets. He will not break off a bent reed or put out a flickering lamp. He will persist until he causes justice to triumph, and in him. All peoples will put their hope. And two chapters further ahead, page 22, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. This follows the account of the feeding of the 5,000. Then Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people away. After sending the people away, he went up a hill by himself to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone, and by this time the boat was far out in the lake, tossed about by the waves, because the wind was blowing against it between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to the disciples, walking on the water. When they saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and screamed with fear. Jesus spoke to them at once. Courage, he said. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then Peter spoke up. Lord, If it is really you, order me to come out on the water to you. Come, answered Jesus. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water to Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he was afraid and started to sink down in the water. Save me, Lord, he cried. At once, Jesus reached out and grabbed hold of him and said, How little faith you have. Why did you doubt? They both got into the boat and the wind died down. Then the disciples in the boat worshipped Jesus. Jesus.
0: one of the most famous and best-loved passages in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. And it closes with the very famous line, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. They are beautiful words. They are used very often in the context of marriage, sometimes at funerals, sometimes at baptismal or membership services. The trouble is the beauty can take us to a place away from reality because actually life isn't always so lovely, is it? In the real world, things like doubt and fear and even hate are part of life. And sometimes we see those as polar opposites to faith, hope, and love. In a moment of what now seems to be utter madness, I had this great idea to do a set of services, setting the words together in pairs. So, hope and fear, faith and doubt, love and hate. And to realize that actually when we read scripture and when we think about real life, it isn't always so easy to separate one out from the other. Well, it was a good idea, but starting work on it has not proved quite so simple. Not least because some of my very clever theology books turn out not to be very helpful when I come to look at these themes. What I am offering you today, I'm not even sure it's a sermon, it's more of an invitation to join with me in an exploration of the interplay of hope and fear. Somebody said to me this morning when they came in, I know it's the exam season but we really didn't need a test this morning because they thought these were test papers that were out on the chairs Somebody else said, oh, I see you're making us work again today because the pencils are out. Well, you kind of know me by now. I've been here nearly two years. So, yes, we are going to work together today. But I want to say right at the start that the extent to which you join in the interactive bit is entirely up to you. And nobody is going to be asked to share what they have thought It may be for some people it's helpful to write things down or to to squiggle symbols relating to what you think of. But if you want to keep it completely in your head where it's private, that's fine. You see, part of the irony of this thing about hope and fear is actually all of us, if we're honest, are sometimes scared. If somebody knew we thought such and such, they might not like us. So it's completely private and completely personal. Hopefully you had um, a sheet of paper on your chair with the theologians on hope thing. I'm just going to invite you to use the back of that sheet of paper if you want to jot anything down. You don't need to read what's on the front. That's your your takeaway homework. Um, We have spare pencils and spare copies if anybody doesn't have one. But I want to invite you just to take a moment or two, and if it's helpful for you to write or symbolise on your paper... Up to three hopes and three fears that you currently have. However you hear that, three hopes and three fears. It can be less, but I suggest not more than. completely personal. It's completely private. If you prefer just to hold them in your mind, that's fine. And once you've done that, I want to invite you to think, which of those are purely personal, things that relate to your own life, and which are actually wider, more generally applicable? If you've written them down, you might like to put a star or something by the personal ones just to help you to distinguish between the personal and the more general. doesn't mean they're superior, it just means that one's maybe subtly different from the other. And I wonder how the balance between the personal and the general reflects the way I asked the question, or how you heard it, or actually how much the personal and the general is prioritised in your own thinking. How much is hope a personal and private thing And how much does it relate to the wider world? And then I would just like to ask you to take a moment to see if there are any links between your hopes and fears. Do your fears prevent the fulfillment of your hopes? Do your hopes relate specifically to your fears? Do your hopes impact my fears, or my hopes impact your fears? There isn't enough time or space to think about this properly. But I expect if you've engaged with that to some extent, you begin to realize that hope and fear are not simply polar opposites. That doesn't work. Actually, it's far more complicated than that. Sometimes our hopes and our fears in some way are interrelated. I'm not actually going to talk very much about the Bible passages we heard this morning. I just couldn't quite make that work. But just to say, there are any number of Bible stories I could have chosen to pick up the theme of hope and fear. I have an electronic Bible on my computer, which is really useful when I want to find a specific word. Of course, depending which translation of the Bible you use, people make different choices as to which words they use. But I typed in fear, afraid, terrified, anxious, words that seem to relate to fear. I wonder if you can guess roughly how many times those words pop up in the Bible. Anyone want to have a guess? Anyone feeling brave? Well, it's around 600 times. The words fear or anxious or terrified or scared, those words come up around about 600 times. I also typed in hope and longing and desire and wish. How many times do you think they come up? Less than 200 Put very crudely then, fear is three times as common in the Bible as hope. Now, that's a sermon for another day. But it's quite clear that these words both come up. And I could have picked all sorts of passages to try and illustrate hope or illustrate fear. If you listened carefully, as Graham read for us, you'll have noticed that the first reading explicitly ended with the word hope. And the second reading explicitly included the word afraid, terrified. But actually, both hope and fear are present in each of those stories. I wonder how the man with a paralyzed hand felt when Jesus said to him, reach out your hand. Did he hope? that he would be healed? Did he fear the consequences of doing what Jesus told him to do? Did he wonder what the best course of action was? You see, I think hope and fear were probably both present in his mind at that moment. And what about the other characters in the story? The people in the synagogue, the religious authorities, the disciples... Maybe even Jesus, could I suggest. What blend of hope and fear did they experience? We read the story as one of hope because the gospel writer guides us to make a connection to the messianic prophecy of Isaiah, which sees Jesus as the source and object of hope. I suspect for those there, there was some fear as well. what about the walking on water story? There's a lovely graphical bit that I never even noticed until this week when I was working with this reading. And it says these adult men, some of them rugged fishermen, screamed with fear when they saw Jesus. They were utterly, utterly petrified. I wonder what Jesus was hoping as he walked towards the boat. I wonder what Peter hoped when he said to Jesus, well, if it's you, call me out of the boat. We all know that he could do it until he got scared and then he sank. And you know, I have a feeling that Jesus had a twinkle in his eye when he said, oh, you've not got much faith, have you? Because Jesus was so loving. I can't imagine Jesus actually telling off his stupid Peter. Hope and fear both present in that story. Can I just encourage you in the days ahead maybe to look again at those stories? Or if there are other Bible stories that you think, well, there's a lot of hope in that or there's a lot of fear in that. Go and read them again and see if you can spot the other one where it might be, even if it's not explicitly said. It seems that hope and fear are constant companions in the life of those whose stories we read in Scripture. What I want to do for the rest of this sermon slot is to spend a bit of time thinking about fear, a bit of time on hope, And then hopefully, just briefly, to see what that might mean for us as individuals and as a community of faith. I've already mentioned my theology books weren't terribly helpful. They talk quite a lot about hope, but not one of them talks about fear. I was a bit surprised by that. I thought that was a bit strange. So what you've got are my thoughts, hopefully guided by the Holy Spirit, but they might just be mine, on fear in the Bible. The first mention of fear occurs in Genesis chapter 3 as part of what we usually call the fall story. Adam and Eve, having eaten the forbidden fruit, which wasn't an apple, there's no mention of apples in Genesis, realized their nakedness and they hid from God Why? Because they were afraid. Now, that seems to me to suggest that the possibility of fear existed even before that action. It wasn't the action that triggered the existence of fear. It was already there within them that they could be afraid of something. They hadn't been afraid of something, but now they were. Now, you might not agree with me on that, and that's fine, but it's certainly clear that from that point forward, all through the Bible, there are mentions of people being frightened. To be able to be afraid, the capacity for fear, is part of being human. Whether it's a cause of the disordered world we are a part of, or whether it's the way we're made, that's perhaps debatable. But fear is part of life. We can face fears... We might be able to overcome them, but the fact of the matter is, they're there. There are lots of ways that fear can be analysed and categorised, but I want to suggest that not all fears are bad. Quite a lot of confessions from me this morning, as well as being scared of hairdressers. One of my fears is that I will fall off a railway platform and get trapped under a train. One of my other fears is getting electrocuted. I'm quite a scared person, really. So when I'm on the subway, I quite like it when it's partick or hillhead because it's a nice wide platform with a wall behind it. I'm not so keen on Kelvin Bridge or Kelvin Hall where it's one of those thin platforms in the middle where I could fall off either side. Now, a one way, that is a pretty stupid fear. But it also keeps me away from danger. It stops me taking silly risks. And I think there is an element of fear, which perhaps isn't the same as terror, that keeps us safe. When that will become a problem, would be if I couldn't use trains or couldn't use a subway. That would be unhealthy. But there is a healthy sense to it that keeps me safe. When I was first going off to train to be a minister, somebody said to me, well, what are your hopes and fears? And I said, well, one of my fears is that in my role as a minister, there might be something I say or something I don't say or something I do or don't do that will damage someone's faith or discipleship, that would actually drive them away from Jesus. And that seems to me, again, a healthy kind of fear, A fear that makes me stop and think how I act. It's not always easy to get it right, but it's a good mandate for life, for me, I think. So there are unhealthy fears that paralyze us, that stop us being who God has created us to be, or at least moving towards that. But there are also healthy fears that help to keep us safe. Well, that's what I think, anyway. Just a word on one of the more confusing expressions that gets used in Christian circles. The expression, the fear of the Lord. Interestingly, that word or uh, that phrase or, or those like it pops up only around 50 times in the Bible. When you hear some people speak, you think it was on every page. Now, I have heard preachers say that we should be scared of God. sorry I don't think so if God is love and if perfect love drives out fear as scripture tells us then we shouldn't be scared of God that's not what the fear of the Lord means what it means is respect often nowadays it's translated as awe or reverence the fear of the Lord is a kind of wow God you're amazing And because you're so amazing, I want to live in the light of that. You see, sometimes we use the fear of the Lord in a negative way. And the picture we create of God seems more like a vengeful ogre than a loving parent. And, you know, that does actually drive people away from seeking Jesus. God is love. Fear of the Lord is not terror. It's deep respect. So then, fear is a natural response to certain situations and being a follower of Jesus doesn't take that away. If we're honest, all of us sometimes find the world in which we live frightening. What makes the difference is hope. My theology books have plenty to say about hope. And some of that I've printed off for you to take away. You don't need to look at it just now. To take away and look at later, because I think there's some helpful stuff in there. Hope, in its own right, is talked about in one of my theology books. As a basis for our ethical decision-making. As an aspect of our Christian spirituality. And for those who like big words, as part of a healthy eschatology. Eschatology just means the study or thinking about the end times now just to say a word about the word hope in ordinary life it gets used very widely as a kind of vague wishful thinking at my exercise class on Wednesday two people were taking part in the women's 10k today and they said I hope the weather's nice well didn't happen did it when I'm going somewhere for the first time, I'll think, I hope I'm not late, so I probably leave about three days early. Sometimes we say, I hope to see such and such, or do such and such. But that's just a kind of vague understanding of hope. One of the things that I kind of knew but had forgotten until I reread it in my theology book this week was that hope can be bad, as well as good. We can have malevolent hopes, either deliberately wishing ill fortune on somebody else or unintentionally, because sometimes fulfilling one hope seems to be at the expense of another. One person's gain is another person's loss. There is an ethical dimension to hope. And one of the things that struck me very much is I need to be careful when I'm promoting my hopes over against those of somebody else. Sometimes it's very hard for me not to do that, but at least to be aware of it, that sometimes fulfilling the thing I hope for might dash what somebody else hopes for. It's not always easy. Those are human understandings of hope, and they're useful for us, but they're not the whole picture. Christians, we, As Christians, we have an additional dimension to our hope. Now, when we understand this correctly, it's not the ticket to heaven. That's not the hope. That's not what makes us follow Jesus. Nor is it the idea of heaven as, as somebody used to say when I was a lot younger, High in the sky, by and by, when we die. That's got not a lot to do with what the Bible says. It's got a lot to do with kind of easy chip off the tongue preaching. Christian hope is linked firmly with an eschatological understanding. That's just big words that theology books like to put in. Our hope is focused beyond time to what God has promised. This community with God, the new creation, when all things are made new. The Christ event, the events of Calvary, which we have celebrated so recently, the defeat once and for all of evil by Jesus' death and resurrection is central to this hope. But in the world in which we live, the new kingdom that Christ inaugurated is clearly not completed we look forward to the time when that finds its fulfillment we live in what theologians call the now and not yet of christ's kingdom christ has defeated sin and death christ's kingdom has begun but we look around and the world is still broken and disordered there's a waiting until such time as it is completed. One of the contemporary theologians I quite like is Jurgen Moltmann. He speaks of hopeful living, of living in anticipation of the eschaton that means the end of time, working with God to hasten the day when it finds its fulfilment. Now, when I talk about anticipation of the eschaton, it's a bit of a word play here. I don't just mean we look forward to it in the way that you're looking forward to me shutting up. It actually means bringing it forward into the present. And unless you come out and gag me, you can't do the equivalent of that bit. But in anticipating the eschaton, we seek to bring it into the here and now. And that's not easy. In one of the quotes that I've given you from Maltman, he says this. Faith which opens itself to hope does not bring peace but disquiet. If we're going to be signs and symbols of that kingdom, it isn't always going to be easy. And sometimes it will be downright frightening. But that is what we are called to do. I was really struck by one of the other things that Maltman said about Baptists. He also said it about enthusiasts, who I think in some ways are the forerunners of the Pentecostals, and also Charles Wesley referred to himself as a reasonable enthusiast. Enthusiasts and Baptists in the 16th century looked for the dawn of the eschaton by actively seeking to transform their oppressive present He didn't mean that they wanted things to be better for themselves, to make themselves more comfortable or less anxious, to reduce the risk of being arrested or executed, which were very real for 16th century Baptists. Let's not forget it's only 400 years that we would all have been arrested or could all have been arrested for being here today. What I think he meant is that they looked out at the world around them And despite those fears of arrest or persecution or execution, their hope in Christ motivated them to be a sign of the kingdom they longed for. The hope in Christ gave them the confidence, even though life was scary and frightening, to be a sign to other people. To be, if you like, the kingdom of God in miniature. And I think that is some of what we are called to do, to be a sign to those around us and to each other of that to which we look forward, the fulfilment of Christ's kingdom at the end of time. Fear is part of life, but hope I believe it is stronger than fear. I've known plenty of fear over the last nine months. I didn't really know what it was until last September time. But hope somehow has remained through that. So here's a question for us to take away and mull over How do we live out our hope in Christ rather than just our own personal dreams and aspirations? in a world that is sometimes hostile and often frightening. Our prayers of intercession this morning are taken from John Pritchard's Second Intercessions Handbook and are based on the colours of the rainbow. We're surrounded by a constant kaleidoscope of colour and we're often more affected by that than we (laughs) realised We can harness the deep connections made by colour in various forms of intercession. When I say the words, Lord of the rainbow, would you please join me in saying, hear our prayer. So I will say, Lord of the rainbow, and you join in saying, hear our prayer. We pray together. Lord. After the flood, you put your rainbow in the skies to remind us of the promises you made to your people. Now we claim those promises as we pray to you. Lord of the rainbow, hear our prayer. Green, the color of creation. There's so much green, Lord, and so much beauty in our world. Help us to stop, look, and listen to your creation. The amazing world of plants and the canopy of trees. The peace of green fields and the thunder of the seas. And yet daily we are destroying your world and abusing our privilege as stewards of creation. May we turn again to love, Honour and conserve what you have so graciously given. Lord of the rainbow, hear our prayer. Yellow, the colour of sun, of warmth and light, and so the colours of smiles and love and friendship. Thank you, Father, for the delight we have in family and friends, and special communities. Thank you for the special people who in our hearts we think of now. We pray for those who have few friends, whose loneliness is a daily burden, and for those who seem unable to make or keep the friendships that are so life-giving to others. Lord of the rainbow, hear our prayer. Red, the colour of blood. The blood of martyrs and saints, official or unofficial, who gave their lives for the faith that we often hold so lightly. We pray for the church that has nurtured both them and us. Give to your church in every culture and every nation the courage to be different, to speak the truth and live the life that draws others close to Jesus Christ. Especially we pray for this church and our neighbouring churches that we may be beacons of light And signs of the eschaton in this community. Lord of the rainbow, hear our prayer. Blue, the colour of the United Nations flag, also the colour of the Scotland flag, and present in the Great Britain flag. Today, those blue flags fly high in many places where people opt for ways of hatred, of violence, of rape, and of robbery. When you have given our world more than enough for all people to prosper, have mercy on us and strengthen the desire of all people to live their lives in friendship cooperation and mutual care against a backdrop of justice and honest peace. We take a moment of quiet to bring to God situations on our own hearts. Lord of the rainbow, hear our prayer. Green for creation, and yellow for warm relationships. Red for the blood of martyrs, and blue for the flags. And there's orange for the sweeter fruits of the earth, and indigo for the colours of shadows, and violet for the colour of sorrow. Lord, you surround us with so much colour, and the colours of the rainbow combine in the white light of your dazzling presence. So take the prayers we've offered together with the promises you've given us and bring all creation to the fulfillment of your kingdom where prayers and promises are no more, for Christ is all in all. Amen.
1: As our blessing, can we share together in
0: reading the metrical setting Of the world peace prayer, which is printed on your sheets. Lead me from death to life, from falsehood
1: into truth, and may I keep through all the years the hopefulness of of youth.